Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third season of iWoofs with your hosts, Ian Dunbar, Kelly Dunbar, and me, Jamie Dunbar. So what are we talking about this week, Kelly? Well, today I thought that we would talk about Ian's upcoming seminar schedule because I just realized, wow, you're, you're pretty much going to be gone uh, for the whole spring, the entire spring, and um, a lot of the year. So I looked in your calendar and saw you have all these plans and thought perhaps you'd like to share them with everybody. Right, maybe you can fill us in as well as our <laughs> listeners to uh, your schedule this year. Yes, I'm, I'm back on the seminar trail again, I guess. Um, you know, you know, I really have no idea why I stopped giving seminars in the first place. I mean, I, I have not given multi-day seminars in the um, States um, for about six years. Six years? Is it, yeah, it already six years. been six years? And I mean, well, I gave some, I reconnected with um, Dr. Nicholas Dodman. We, oh, yeah. we, we go back to the um, early 70s and uh, we actually reconnected on a documentary about the two of us. and. Um, and a couple of radio shows, and so I said, "Hey, let's do a dog and pony show, you know, but you're and not lecture counting together." That. You're not counting no, that. because it's I, your, yeah. you know, he did an hour and a half, I did an hour and a half, and um, as soon as I did it, I thought, "Why did I give this up?" I mean, it, it, of all the things I do, you know, and especially in dogs, I mean, puppy training and lecturing, it's it's the thing that I really like the most. But then a lot of new stuff came up, and I'm really excited about it. Um, it's looking back, you know, it's, it's much easier now to like concentrate on what are the things where we're really missing out on in, in puppy husbandry and, and they're big things and we do it so often and of course people don't notice until the dog's an adolescent and then the dog develops all of these predictable problems which were so easily preventable way back when. I mean obviously the behavior problems but most importantly, the, the, the sneaky ones, the temperament, temperament problems, you know, and no one thinks about it because uh, with their four or five month old puppy, he's Mr. Sociable with other dogs and people. And they don't think of classical, classically conditioning him then. And then six months to eight months, boom, suddenly becomes wary of people and dog-dog um, aggressive, especially on leash. So some of this uh, sounds still very similar to you know what you've always said and tried to impress upon people. Unfortunately, it sounds like we still have to do so. But you also said there's some new aspects to what you're well, the, doing. Yeah, the, the first part is really it's so old that it's new again. These are, this is nothing new. But dog training has drifted, if you look at it. In the 90s, we had a lot of puppy classes taught totally off-leash, whereas now, when you look at puppy classes, often they're on-leash. And so we aren't getting this socialization, and especially socialization with people that we used to have. Um, I think now the culture is different, that there's more and more places where you can't take dogs, so it's hard to keep a puppy and an adolescent dog socialized. So, yeah, the, the first day, the first part is, um, it, it's not new, um, it's just that we're still not doing it. And, and it's a huge... We're doing it less, as you say. We're doing it less. It's a huge quality of life issue, too. You know, to me, um, one of the most enjoyable things about a dog are just going for a really slow walk with your dog off leash and watching him and occasionally putting him on leash if another dog comes by. And, and a lot of people and dogs can't do that. But the, the real exciting thing, as you say, is the stuff that's new. Um, basically, a new look at learning theory. And 
I knew that something has been missing from dog training from a long time and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And it all comes around this notion of punishment, which really divides the profession. That some people think punishment is nasty, you know, it's cruel, and so they don't do it. And other people think punishment has to be nasty to be effective. And I knew that both of those assumptions were not true but I, I put, couldn't quite put it into words. Can I take that assumption even further? Um, that some people think that nasty punishment must be applied to proof a dog to the highest level of training. That's actually, I think, the issue, the underlying issue. And it's absolutely untrue. That yes, we have to punish in the sense that we have to eliminate undesirable behaviors. Like, for example, if we're, we're proofing a dog boundary training at the edge of your driveway or at your front door and you don't want him to step over, there's times when he will step over, so what are you going to do about it? And the point is, you can punish the dog with your voice and you can punish your dog with your voice without raising it. And this was the huge sort of light bulb moment I had when I realised that learning theory, and please don't get me wrong, I don't want people to panic like, oh dear, you know, this is... Ian's being sacrilegious, talk, you know, talking about learning theory. It's absolutely true for when computers train animal in cages. And, and by animals in cages, I mean animals that don't have that many interests. I mean, pigeons and rats don't really have many interests, and they have no options. They can't run off. And that's very different in the real world when a person who's not a computer, so they're not consistent, and they're not tirelessly consistent, when a person is training a dog that has many competing interests and he has options. He can either run off and say, look, you train on your own, buddy, because this isn't fun, or he can make you run off. And so this changes the whole playing field. But luckily for us, we have our voice, our language. And with that, we can then transcend all of the many constraints of when people try to apply learning theory in practice. Well, we also have relationship. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and the more I looked at this and picked it apart, I thought, you know, computers, the feedback they give, I mean, what's the brilliant thing about a computer training an animal? Well, they're consistent. I mean, if the rat's in the wrong part of the cage, he's in the wrong part of the cage and he's going to get punished. But the other difference was, how did the computer reward or punish? Did the computer give the rat a hug and say, well done rat, you're a good rat, you're doing a good job? Or did he say, rat, I want you in the other part of the cage? No, computers couldn't do that. We can. But for some reason, so many trainers are trying to copy the, the instructions and the feedback that computers give in the generation of this learning theory. People are trying to communicate to animals with like, you know, clicks and buzzes and kibble and shocks. And I mean, I think that's not surprising. I think that the, you know, people are aspiring to be scientific and that quantum things that are easily measured, you know, is what science is best at, things that you can, you can measure. And so, you know, the, the heart is in the right place of trying to, you know, use time test using techniques that you can test and quantify. Like, that makes sense that people are trying to do that. I, I absolutely, you have a very good point there that um, precision and quantum, the quantum nature of things, uh, people think of that as science, but to me, the more exciting parts of science are, uh, let's measure the ever-expanding universe. What is infinity? What are the analog components? Mm -hmm. And this is where science suddenly gets interesting, that physics then changes from a hardcore science almost to a religion, to a belief. 
Um, and I would like to see the opposite happen with behavior and training. People used to I, think of psychology. Clarify, clarify that. I mean, science becomes a religion. Well, it's, because they don't. When we used to think of science, we had you know we had formulas. You know that that water is made out of H2O, two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen, and so on. And science was absolutely precise. But now we in science we postulate things like quarks. Do they exist? What about I mean, this quark? It's philosophical, not really. It has become yes. It, well, it's become a belief. Let's put it that way. Yes, religion is not a good word. A belief. We believe this exists, but we can't yet prove it. So science ha it is not the pre precise. Um, sort of ology that we used to know it as, whereas to me behavior and training is, and I would like there to be more science in training, but I don't want it to do away with the relationship. So hence the title, science-based training with feeling. So to me, if you watch a dog, you count how many paces he takes. This is precision. So you can tell how many times he barked in a day. You know, you can quantitatively assess behavior and then you can change it and you can precisely measure that change. So I want much more science in training, but we don't have to limit that to being quantum. No, no, no. On, on the contrary, analog feedback gives much more information. So rather than giving the dog feedback like click or nothing or shock or nothing, I would like to say, um, Rover, sit. Good dog. That means he sat, but it was kind of sloppy. Oh, good dog. Good dog. Oh, that's a really good sit. Fetch the tennis ball. And so using our voice and the analog component of it, we can let the dog know how well he did, or on the other hand, how dangerous the misbehavior is. Additionally, with voice comes instruction. And of course, this is what the first stage of training is, teaching the dog what we want him to do, teaching English as a second language. And, and so now, if we think, well, how do we punish? We can specifically redirect the dog to what we want. So rather than the words of differentially reinforcing another behavior, so what they mean there is, um, you're gonna reward any behavior apart from the one he's doing, the problem behavior. Or you train in an incompatible behavior, um, like if he's jumping up, sitting, okay? So rather than doing that, we actually tell the dog to sit if he's thinking of jumping up. So we train him to sit and then we think, oh, he's going to jump on that little girl. Rover, sit. End of problem. With a quiet voice, you have interrupted the thought, the intention of a behavior that we don't like, and now he's doing the right thing. So it's a little more specific and therefore a lot more time efficient than the, the other methods, the DROs and the DRIs. And, and if we then find now, when we look at the, the, the various techniques we use in training, you know, the, the whole quadrant thing, we find now that negative reinforcement that's had a terrible bum rap over the years because it is the most potent training tool that we have, after positive reinforcement, of course, um, but that the people that use negative reinforcement did it in such a horrible way. I mean, ear pinches toe loops, I mean causing extreme pain to the animal and then the pain was relieved when the animal did what you wanted. When you pinched his ear and hurt him really badly till he took the dumbbell and when he did you stop. But now by using our voice we can use negative reinforcement in a way that's instructive and we don't even raise our voice.
And, and, and the best example, of course, is, is my all-time favorite because, as you know, the, the, the thing that I love in training is off-leash reliability. And the notion is, how do we get the dog to sit when he's at a distance? And he's really distracted. You know, there's other dogs there and smells and what have you. Well, we train him um, first to sit when he's proximal, when he's close to us, then in distractions. We do lots of proofing, you know, with a cat there, with another dog there, with people there, with smells and what have you. Then we do it at a distance, a greater distance. Then we walk the dog in the park and we tell him, Rover, sit. If he does, the reward's right there. We say, good boy, dude, go on. The reward is the environment where he is at the moment. If he doesn't, we simply repeat the command in a negative reinforcement format. So we say, Doom, sit, 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 sit. And he eventually sits. And then we say, good dog, Doom. We praise him, but I'm not excited because he made me repeat the command. So I take a step back, come here, Doom, sit. Good boy, go play. So if I have to repeat the command, he has to repeat the exercise and he only gets to walk on again once he sits after a single command. And, and this now gives us enormous off-leash reliability. And, and, and I think, I mean, that's huge. That's a massive quality of life issue. Yeah, I mean, I think thinking about punishment and where, you know, aversive punishment has been so, has been very popular throughout kind of training history, the question of why that would be. It seems very obvious that if a dog is not doing what you want it to do, that the quickest way to get it to do what you want it to do would be to show it or tell, um, rather than to hit it or you know punish it or scare it or hurt it. Um, and I think it, it kind of stems from just a general human tendency of kind of punishment should be painful and that if someone's doing something wrong, they have to suffer the consequences. Um, so rather than thinking about you know how to make animals behave how we want them to, it's how to make them suffer for their misbehaviors, how to, you know, like, some weird perverse justice concept. Well, which means, you're absolutely right, and that's a huge part of it, people think they know better and they're choosing to be defiant and therefore they need to be punished, and that's generally where this comes from, when in reality we've shown over and over again, no, generally, if a dog doesn't, most of the time, if the dog doesn't do what you've asked, they don't know what you want. Uh, right. Or the motivation is extremely low, and we, it's our job to, to change both of those things. I mean, Ian, you've shown even in just the little, um, the sit test, you know, like uh, that a dog, a well-trained dog, often doesn't even know really what the, you know, inherently know what sit means. It, they're based, you know, they're, they're cueing based on context and, um, you know, body language. And so to punish a dog for not sitting in a new context really is unfair if we can show that they don't even know what the heck you're talking about. No, you're absolutely right. And the sit test, what I love doing in workshops is I will find the best dog in the group. And we have an elimination process to find that. And then I let the person show off and show how well trained this dog is. And then I say, right, I'm going to demonstrate to everybody here the dog doesn't know what sit means, but also that he's not being disobedient that you are going to be the jury and all of you are going to say, no, he didn't know what it meant and they're all going to say he was not being disobedient. So a classic here is a really simple one. I will take the person's leash. So this dog has healed and he's gone sit down, sit, stand, roll over, walk on his hind paws, stand on his front paws and pirouette, you know, he's a really good dog. And then I say, right, could you put him on leash, please? Now that's unusual for a well-trained dog being put on leash. It changes him immediately. Then I take the leash 
that dog is totally different now because a stranger's holding the leash, I tell the owner, will you turn around and put your nose right on the nose of a stranger of the opposite sex? So now the owner is spooked. The purpose of doing that is, say it's a woman owner, she's now face to face with a man you know, she doesn't want to open her mouth in case, you know, she's got some, you know, hasn't cleaned her teeth today or something. And I say, right, ask your dog to sit. If he sits, I'll say, good dog. If he doesn't sit, if I don't say good dog, you know he's not sitting. Well, the owner says, Rover, sit? It's an interrogative. But what does the dog do? He stands looking at her rear end, turning his head from side to side, cocking an ear. He's paying attention to her. It's like, she said something, what is it? And she can say it six times and the dog doesn't sit. And so I say, turn around and ask him to sit once. Bam, the dog does it instantly. So then I say, well, is the dog being disobedient? No, disobedience is, total disobedience is, you don't do what the owner says and you run off and have a good time doing something else. This dog is looking at the owner's butt thinking, I've never heard a butt speak before, you know. And she's never trained the dog out of sight. And so the dog just doesn't know it. But we can show the dog's not being disobedient because he's totally paying attention to her. And when she turns round, he does it on the first command. Then I make the point, and for each thing in the sit test, there's a point. Look, if your dog won't sit when your back is turned and you're just three feet from him, what makes you think he'll sit when his back is turned and he's 40 yards off chasing a rabbit? The training begins here in this room. And we can prove, and I can show you, the dog doesn't know what sit means. And this is the big difference between children and dogs. A three to four year old child will learn the meaning of sit in one session. And they know it. They will generalize now when you say sit, they'll sit. In different contexts, different yep. situations. Different people saying it. Whether someone's holding their leash. Yeah. Dog never will. I mean dogs, as soon as you give a command to a dog, his brain goes <laughs> and it analyzes about a million bits of information asking the big question, does he mean it? Now the dog may sit in the kitchen for mum when she's holding the food bowl, but will it sit in the living room? Will it sit in the yard? Will it sit in the park? Will it sit when dad gives the command? No. The dog just says, oh, but it's no, him speaking. Come on, it's more it. than does he mean, do they mean it? Now you're saying the dog is choosing well, to be de defiant. No, just do I have to? Or do I know? You just said how they don't understand the context. You know, if dad has never absolutely. said it, no, so it's no, not no, does he mean it, no, it's, it's what the heck point. is he saying? You're, you're right, I was or wrong, you're it, right. You know, you can't... So all, all we know is, does the dog do it, yes or no? That isn't to say they can't also do the, you know, the assessment of, is this a serious situation, or do I really want to sit when there's a squirrel going by? I mean, I, I do think they do make those yeah. decisions as this well. This is, and it's, it's very, I think it's a very important point, because when I do this whole uh, teaching the distance sit, and I repeat the command, most trainers hate that. And a learning theorist says, no, you're denaturing the cue, it's learned irrelevance, and of course it's not. Uh, learned irrelevance is when you've taught the dog the meaning of a word, and now the dog learns it's irrelevant because you say sit and you don't follow up. In this case, the dog never knew the meaning of the word. And, and you then, do follow up. And, and I do follow up, absolutely, always follow up. And then the other trainers just say, you should never repeat the command for some reason. They just keep saying this as if, you know, your dog's running for a street, you say sit once and Oh dear, he's in the street, smack. You know, I mean, it's too silly, you know, for words. But I think what's happening when you repeat the command, and I can give a great human example for this, um, the dog is concentrating on sniffing, and you say, Rover, sit. Well, what's reaching his consciousness is the perception of the smell. And he may hear something in the background, like, mm. and then you repeat it, and then, dude, 
doing sit, and as you repeat it, it gradually now is perceived in consciousness. And it's kind of like if you're driving and you're listening to the radio, and, and someone says that there's someone in the crosswalk. There's someone in the crosswalk. Stop! Stop! It takes four commands sometimes for people, you know, to, to realize what's going on. And I think that's what's happening. And so there's no need to get on the dog's case. But if you just do it, if you just do this routine, you'll find within 12 repetitions, you aren't repeating the command more than once. And then in 20 repetitions, you aren't repeating it at all. But, but so many people don't do it. And, and that was what was in the original lure reward training. You know, right. which is, is why the third day is, let's do lure reward training that properly, phase out the lure right away within six to 12 repetitions. Then stage two, let's teach the dog to want to do it. And to me, that's what training is. Can I mean, you talk about this in the seminar as well? Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, people think reward training is, I'm going to give you the rules and you're damn well going to do it. My view of training is, First, I'm going to teach you English so you understand what I'm saying to you when I ask you to sit. You know what it means, and I'm going to test that. But then comes the 95% of training. I'm going to motivate you now so when I say sit, you say hot damn diggery. I really like sit. Because we're going to motivate it. We're going to get rid of food rewards. That's useless as a motivator, you know, for, for many, many dogs. We're going to replace them with the 11 biggest in this world. The 11? You have 11? The 11 Don't biggest. tell everybody. This is supposed oh, to be talking about... Oh, I don't mind telling them. No one's going to go to your seminar if you give the whole go, thing right now. Just tell them go. And, you know, I <laughs> mean, there, the two in the world... No, I'm going to tell them. You can't, no. you can't muscle me. Well, we have me. other things to talk about. We have five minutes. You've been yeah. on one, of your, one day of your talk. No? Yeah, the list of topics. Right. No. This is not a cliffhanger. You know. No. <laughs> this is, it should uh, be. No, I mean, the two big life rewards. Um, these, uh, you know... Um, uh, just wandering and sniffing and playing with other dogs. The two big interactive games, tug and fetch, and then the seven big behavior problems. The seven behaviors that dogs do that really frustrate owners and piss them off, we just put them on cue, turn them into rewards. Now we're motivating the dog sit with these 11 massive activities and games, and the dog just says, I love to sit because it's not either or. See, a lot of dogs think, come here means Oh, you mean play session's over? No, come here or sit means time out for me to say, hello, thank you, big kiss, off you go again. And, and now the dog's cool, he's copathetic, it's pathetic with it. Co, co, what's Pacetic. he, co? Pathetic. Copathetic. Copathetic. Whatever, he's keen about it, he's, he's cool. Copathetic. <laughs> I've become, I've he's pathetic with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he, you know, the dog just thinks this is absolutely wonderful. I, I love it. Anyway, so that's why I'm lecturing again, uh, doing these three days. Um, I, I got kind of sort of bored going over the same old stuff again. The like, you know, the aggression lectures and the behavior problem, prevention, treatment things. It's the same old, same old. It's, it's why we started Dogstar and wrote it down. Hey guys, come on the site and read it. But talking about this stuff, it just excites me. I, I, I think we're at a tipping point in learning theory. And, and of course, the application of this is enormous. This, this is not about training dogs. This is about how we deal with people. You know, when, when your kid's not clearing up his room, when your wife's not clearing up her room. Uh, you know, and when, when two people see things differently. It's about how do, we, um, how do we try and let them know how important this is and how do we motivate them to, to want to do it. I mean, we don't want to fall out with family and friends. 
But yeah, I think the, the notion that punishment is painful and punitive, right, hurts society in a lot of ways. And the idea that punishment should be instructive. Someone's not behaving how you want them to, you should provide them with the skills and resources and motivation to provide to, to act the way that you want them to. And Absolutely. that society wants them to. Yeah. You know, and, and putting like, someone in prison to punish them only deteriorating their socialization is not going to help society in any way. Yeah, we don't want to use the dictionary definition of punishment, which is it's getting our own, gets society getting its own back and, and hurting someone. We want to use the scientific definition of punishment. We want to eliminate the behavior we don't want and replace the one that we do. And the best examples I have of this are, are human learning examples, teaching a child to read. You used to sign your name with E backwards. And right, you don't slap the kid yeah. and say, no, that's wrong. I, I told you, I said, that's the yes. prettiest backwards E I've ever seen. Can you do more? And then I said, this is how you do it the right way around. you want to do those? And then you could sign your name with it the right way around. Well, the last year when we were skiing, and remember I lost my left turn in powder? And you looked at me and said, Dad, you're doing this turning right, but doing this turning left. And ba-boom, we solved the problem, and that was it. Or when we do tango, how many, how many mistakes that require punishment do I make in a minute and, and their instructress, she did. She said, no, Ian, the, the other foot. No, no, the other right foot. Oh, I've got it. And that's how people train. learn and then... Yeah, and, and that's how we should look on dog training. It's To me, it's, it's the tango of life. We're, we're doing <laughs> something with our dog and we're doing it together. But I guess time is up, so we'll leave them on the cliffhanger to say, these lectures are so much fun. I, I, I just think it's groundbreaking. I love it. I'm so excited by it all. I'm looking forward to seeing you all there, so come along. Mm -hmm. yeah, all right. Sign up at jamesandkenneth.com, right? That is yeah, correct. So we post the seminars. So we better say goodbye. All right. I guess goodbye, I better everybody. say goodbye too. Yeah, well, I, I'm not going to talk in the next I was. <laughs> no, so next season. This is the last one of the season. Yeah. That's the end of season three. Yep. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. goodbye. Everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>